The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about food additives, MSG, nitrates, nitrites, food coloring, what's in your food. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Man, you're having a tough time over there. Pollen. You're having the a spring. tough time. If you tell me that you're Ugh. crushing it today, I will know once and for all you're a liar. <laughs> Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Patty Con- Devers? Congested. Ah. But all is well. There are worse things in the world. I am still crushing it. <laughs> Playing hurt, I see. Or nope, here. I'm here. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks <laughs> to everyone for being here to this show called The Lab Report. It's a podcast where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. And we're so thankful that you're here, and hopefully you would have subscribed to this show. If you're new, welcome. And maybe you can head over to iTunes or Spotify, mm-hmm. hit the subscribe button, rate, review, leave us some stars, and things like that. We like those stars. If you have feedback, you can send the feedback to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the emails. We love them. And we're not going to talk about pollen and seasonal allergies today. We're going to talk about wah, food wah. <laughs> additives and it should be said that food additives uh this is a really big topic mm-hmm. there's lots of them thousands right? thousands of food additives mm-hmm. which begs the question why do we have so many food additives what are we doing with all these things well right? there's, a, there's a lot of reasons for that right so i think the most common one is to preserve shelf life in okay. general so Pres- preservatives yeah if you want to ship it across the country you got to make sure that this is still a stable food when it gets there yeah but they're not all preservatives nope we've got food colorings mm-hmm. we've got flavorings which also begs the question, why are we adding flavorings <laughs> to food, right? This is kind Such of interesting. Such an interesting point. And then hmm. there are things to thicken some of the food. So it's, it's really interesting, and it really does beg the question, are all of these things really needed, right? Well, it depends, I think. If you want my take on it. Go ahead. I think part of the problem is that when you, uh, when you take food in its original state, right. and then you process it repeatedly right. over and over again, uh-huh. break it down to its raw chemical components, and then synthesize it back into quote-unquote food, Uh it tends to not taste like anything. It's really interesting, right? So in order to take this chemistry set on your plate Mm -hmm. and make it taste like food again, you have to add flavorings and colorings to make it look like food. Yeah, it's really circular logic that makes no sense. But rather than stay on your soapbox, Michael, why don't we teach and talk about some of these food preservatives and additives? I know there are thousands. Let's just choose a couple and talk about what they do in your body. Well, let's start with my favorite. Which is your favorite? MSG. That's your favorite? It is my favorite. I mean, despite the fact that it may or may not give me heart palpitations and headaches, <laughs> it does tend to taste good. Well, right? it, or it makes things taste better. Well, let's back up and say, what does MSG stand for? Monosodium glutamate. Right. So it's really just the salt of the non-essential amino acid, glutamic acid. Mm-hmm. And they use it because it has very specific salty zestiness, right? So you see it a lot in things like soups or Chinese food is probably the most important example that people know. 
Yeah, that's the one that gets bantered for better or for worse, fair right. or not fair. That's fair. what uh, what you often hear as associated with MSG. But it's in everything, man. It's it's not just in those things. True. It's, it's in a lot of products. So what does it do in the body? Well, I'll give you my take again. Once again, I'll give you my take. Oh my gosh. So. When I think of monosodium glutamate, and you just mentioned it, the thing that sticks out there is glutamate, right? right? Mm-hmm. And glutamate is a neurotransmitter in and right. of itself. And so the the primary association I have with MSG is the NMDA receptor, which is a glutamate receptor. Which is excitatory. It's an excitatory receptor, and so it leads to all different physiologic changes based on that. And that's where we get into the terrain of heart palpitations and a lot of the other symptomatology, especially in people who are sensitive to MSG, uh, you start to see. Things like flushing and, like you said, sweating and palpitations, those are common for people who have reactions to MSG. Well, and you know, Patty, I'm looking through PubMed here, and it's kind of interesting because I've got a lot of information on the NMDA receptor mm-hmm. and what that does systemically, and the fact that overexcitation of the NMDA receptor seems to be neurotoxic. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of direct connections here between MSG hmm. and those endpoints. Which then begs the question like, how common is this sensitivity to MSG? And if you think about it, so the FDA regulates some of these food additives, right? Things like MSG. And they they regard it as, generally regarded as safe, uh-huh. G-R-A-S, yeah. right? And yeah. so they use it because table salt has about 40% sodium, MSG, not as much, probably 12%, and mm-hmm. they consider it safe, mm-hmm. right? And so it really comes down to, if there's not a lot in PubMed, is this really a thing? How common is it? And there's the one aspect that you're alluding to, which is the immediate hypersensitivity to MSG, which uh, some people have demonstrated. But then there's also the concern around long-term consequences to Hmm. MSG consumption on average, because it does seem to stimulate the NMDA receptor, and stimulating the NMDA receptor tends to lead to these neurotoxic outcomes. And so um, it's certainly something that should be looked into further. One parting thought Mm. on MSG. Yeah. Have you heard of the term umami? Sure. Yeah, it's it's one of our main uh, tastes. It's like one of our flavors that we taste on our tongue. Yeah. yeah, it's highly associated with MSG. Yeah, and it's it's responsible for like the savory taste, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. All right, so I think we covered MSG pretty well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, watch out for it. Might cause some problems. Um, generally try to avoid it in my household, at least. Okay. Uh, that's, that's my recommendation. So we've got a good pace going here. Why don't we move on to the next one? We're going to talk about nitrites and nitrates. Cool. So, Patty, I go to the store, right? Mm-hmm. And I pick up a package of bacon. Yeah. And I happen to notice that on that bacon, on the label, it says, no added nitrates. Hmm. So it begs the question, um, what is this? Why are we adding this <laughs> stuff? Why are we not adding it? What's going on? Well, a nitrate is a nitrogen with three oxygen molecules and a nitrite is a nitrogen with two oxygen molecules and those are often added to meats to help preserve them and cure them and slow down their aging process mainly by way of being kind of antimicrobial. And one of the big concerns out there is that a lot of these products and specifically we think about bacon, we think about hot dogs and other preserved porks, cured porks, is that these additional nitrates can turn into nitrites or other nitrogen compounds such as nitrosamines. And there's been some concern in the literature around associations with nitrosamines, these nitrates, nitrites, and potential cancer risk. Well, here's the problem. What's the problem? 
nitrates and nitrites can occur naturally in vegetables and yeah. in your soil and your water. So mm-hmm. if they can occur naturally, why should we be concerned about adding them to other things like meats? Well, I think the answer to that would be a dose response curve, right? Things occur naturally in foods. And then there's the addition of things on top of food beyond what normally naturally occurs to where you can disrupt physiology. But then I think, isn't nitric oxide good for us from a cardiovascular standpoint? Isn't that a good thing? Sure, that helps vasodilation, uh, but that's not the only compound that can theoretically be formed by these nitrates and nitrites. That's where the concern comes in. And there is an ongoing raging war mm-hmm. in the literature right oh now around this where, you know, they're essentially th- they're saying that the literature is inconclusive, which is true. I, You know, it depends on what article you pulled up. I just pulled one up. That was a meta-analysis around nitrates, nitrites, and nitrosamines intake and risk of gastric cancer. They found that nitrate consumption seemed to not be significant significantly associated with cancer risk, but nitrites and nitrosamines were in a dose response fashion. So um, again, just one article in a whole slew of articles. And um, suffice it to say, there's some competing interests out there. There's a lot of competing interests. And there used to be all of those um, articles written about meat causing cancer, right? Yeah. Red meat causing cancer. And they were saying it was by way of nitrites and nitrates. And even when we spoke to Gabrielle Lyon, she kind of debunked some of those literature studies as well. So to your point, Ongoing raging debate. Well, and the other funny thing, too, is that when they say on the label, no added nitrates, they're talking about they haven't added something like sodium nitrate, but they've instead added like celery powder, which in and of itself right. has a high amount oh of nitrates goodness. in it. So it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you have to have to really understand what's going on from both a commercial and marketing standpoint. Yeah, food labels are tricky. Labels are tricky. You mm-hmm. know, you tend to learn a lot just by turning that food around and reading off the ingredients that are in there. I don't think... Many people are doing that as much as they should because I think it really does teach you all of the different chemicals that might be going into what you're eating. And so it makes me think about uh, a little game we could play. Okay. Sort of like a name that food. What do you mean? Well, I pull up a label, a okay. random label, and you try to guess what food I'm describing. <laughs> are you all up right. for it? You Bring up for it. The, up for the challenge? Let's go. So to make this a little bit more interesting, I'm not just going to read right down the label because I think that might be a dead giveaway as far as understanding the main ingredients. So I'm going to kind of jump around the ingredient label, okay? Yeah, because the main ingredients are listed first. And just to make it more suspenseful, let's put a little bit of time up on the clock here. Oh, gosh. All right. Are you ready? I am. Okay. Soybean oil. Hmm. Salt. Salt. Um, Okay. Yeast nutrients, including... Yeast. Calcium carbonate, calcium sulfate, monocalcium phosphate, mm. ammonium sulfate, and citric acid. Makes me think this might be something baked. Go Hy- ahead. Hydrogenated vegetable oil. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Soy lecithin. Oh, say no more. Emulsifier. Corn syrup. Sweet. Water. Just wet. Yeast. C. Baked goods. Vitamin B3. Hmm. Vitamin B1. Okay. Vitamin B2. Mm-hmm. Folic acid. More vitamins. Unbleached, enriched wheat flour. Yes, baked goods. Do you have any guesses? A bagel? Donut. Nope. Dough conditioner. See? Including mono and diglycerides, sodium steroyl lactylate, ethoxylated mono and diglycerides, and ascorbic acid. All right, Patty, your time's up. Do you have any final guesses? Can I sort of think this out a little bit? Sure. Okay, so you mentioned corn syrup, which is sweet. You talked about 
soy lecithin, which is like an emulsifier, and so so is like soybean oil. These are emulsifiers. You talked about wheat, dough proteins. As you were rambling all of those things off, I was thinking baked goods. Something that's baked that's sweet. Um, chocolate chip cookies. Really? Really. Can I have another guess? Sure. Um, bagels. Oh, jeez. All right. One last guess. Sure, okay. Is it like just white bread? You got it. What? You got it. Good job. Thank you. Good job. Can I ask a clarifying question? Sure. Why are they putting corn syrup in bread? There's a lot of things in that label yeah. that I, I ask the question, why? Yeah, like, why are they putting all these chemicals in our food? You rattled off a list of really hard-to-pronounce chemicals, and why are they putting them in our food? Yeah, some of them gave me a couple speed bumps, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but you did well. Thanks. But something else that you'll often see on a food label are sulfites. Yeah, and if we do, like, a word association with respect to sulfites, mm-hmm. the first thing that comes to my mind is wine. I was just going to say that. Oh, I should have let you say it. Thanks. But perhaps that's not really fair because it seems that there are sulfites in a lot of different things. Lots of things, like meats, for example. Mm -hmm. A lot of sulfites in meat, you wouldn't think of that. Because what sulfites do, in essence, amongst many of their functions, they inhibit microbial growth and therefore food doesn't deteriorate as quickly. And they can also enhance color. They're enzyme inhibitors and antioxidants. So they do a lot of things and they're in a lot of foods, though I think of wine first. Yeah. But just as an example, I, I just Googled it and went to WebMD. Okay. Good old WebMD. That's right. And guess what? They have a list of foods that may contain sulfites. And that includes things like baked goods, soup mm-hmm. mixes, jams, canned vegetables, pickled foods, Yikes. gravies, dried fruit, potato chips, trail mix, beer and wine, vegetable juices, sparkling grape juice, Whoa. apple cider, lemon <gasps> juice and lime juice, tea, condiments, molasses, oh my gosh. guacamole. Yikes. And maraschino cherries. How do you feel about maraschino cherries? I hate maraschino really? cherries. Really? You hate, I hate them. them? Why? I hate them. They just taste like plastic to me. Who knew? We just stumbled on something. <laughs> Who knew maraschino <laughs> cherries could be so polarized? Do you think you have a camp of people that are with you oh. that hate maraschino cherries? Oh, yeah. I'm quite sure of that. Uh, on the top of the milkshake? You're, you're not like... Gross. I always throw the cherries out. What's even worse are those chocolates that have cherries in them. Oh, Ugh. Yeah. Chocolate covered cherries. Gross. I wonder why they're called maraschino cherries. Who's maraschino? <laughs> He's getting a lot of a lot of claim to fame here. I'm gonna Google it. Man, Patty's really down on the maraschino cherry. I mean, I didn't expect this to be such a huge issue. I kind of hope maraschino is not a region of the world because then Patty might be alienating a whole group of people and maybe destroying their economy. Got it. What is it? Sorry, Croatia. Uh-oh. It's a type of cherry that's grown in Croatia called Maraska cherry. And then after they pick it and they start to preserve it, they put it in this liqueur, and then it's now known as the maraschino cherry. So it's in Croatia and Dalmatia. So sorry. I'm sure they're all very nice people, and it might just be the liqueur that I'm turned off to. So I'm sorry, Croatia. You just dramatically reduced the world's supply of Shirley Temples. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, so maraschino cherries are high in sulfites, mm-hmm. amongst many other foods. Many. Why Why do we care about According sulfites? According to WebMD. That's right. Why do we care? Well, first and foremost, there's people out there that are very sensitive to sulfites, mm-hmm. um, even so, sort of uh, hypersensitive to sulfites in that they create what seems like IgE-mediated responses. Like what? Including skin reactions such as hives, but also things like uh, throat swelling, migraines, sneezing, coughing. Whoa. 
Anaphylaxis is Yikes. rare, but happens. Yeah, it's considered one of the top nine food allergens. Well, and aside from the people who might have an actual true sensitivity or reaction to it, there might be other concerns from a health consequence perspective. Right, Patty? Right. And I will also point out that the FDA does consider sulfites to be GRAS, generally recognized as safe compounds, which is why they're allowed to be in our foods. But even at these GRAS levels, they can inhibit the growth of some really potentially beneficial bacteria within our microbiome. Yes, yeah, studies have shown that it inhibits the growth of certain beneficial gut flora, which makes sense because we're using these agents as bactericidal right. and fungicidal. Mm-hmm. So yeah. why would we not think that there might be some action there within our own microbiome? And all of this might sound really scary. We're not trying to scare yes, people you are. out there. Well, okay, maybe a little bit, but just to help provide information to become more attentive and aware and look at some of the ingredients on those labels that you're purchasing. And you can Google them. And these are things that you can avoid, right? Mm -hmm. There are foods that will not have sulfites. There are foods that, you know, doesn't have added nitrates, nitrites, all that sort of stuff. So one more thing that might be maybe more difficult to avoid in Mm -hmm. certain foods is food colorings. I mean, have you looked at the label, the food label on something like Fruit Loops? No, I... Honestly, I haven't. Uh, not allowed in the house. So, <laughs> But I can see where you're getting at. I think one of the dead giveaways for when you're trying to identify uh, f- a color additive Kay. is the fact that it has the color in the There's a color word. there. Yeah. yeah. So if you see something that says blue or green, you can pretty well assume that that's a food color. Mm-hmm. But they're complicated because there are things like FDNC blue number one and two, FDNC yellow number five and six, and orange B and, and citrus red number two. So these are kind of confusing. So you just look for that color. Okay. So when you see that FDNC before any kind of a food diet, that stands for the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, right? <laughs> it's the act that allows you to put... Various colors in food and cosmetics, for example, Uh or supplements or drugs. And then when you further break that down, sometimes you'll see the word lake in there, right? And so there are dyes, FD&C dyes, and then there are lakes, which is a strange word to use for color additive, right? So the dyes can dissolve in water. So it's usually things like powders or granules or things like that. But then there are lakes, and lakes are added colors that are water-insoluble, Right. So they stay as fats and oils. And that's things that you might think about, like when they color margarine, for example. Right. To make it look like it's butter. Yeah. To give it a color or like cheddar cheese, which typically is white, is it not? Right. They actually add coloring to make Mm -hmm. it look yellow. That's right. And from a clinical perspective, I think a lot of this has been somewhat empiric evidence, has been Mm -hmm. observational studies with clinicians who are, you know, more focused on practicing more of a holistic approach to childhood wellness have made this causal association around food additives, food colorings, and behavior changes in children. Mm -hmm. Um, Some evidence in the literature has supported that. And certainly, you know, like a lot of other things, there's been some inconclusive literature that's been published as well. Right. And although there are some studies that suggest that they're carcinogenic, right, there's also some conflicting studies that say that may not be that the dyes themselves are carcinogens, but they could be synergistic to other carcinogens. Which still might be a problem. You know, one very weird thing that I remember reading back in like 2005 was that there was this study done where um, they had rats with spinal cord injuries. What? Ask me how they did that. And so what they found accidentally was that if they gave these rats FDNC blue number whatever, blue number one or two, they gave them blue food coloring, it helped 
reduced the inflammation around the spine and actually promoted repair of the spinal damage. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There was I've only one problem. What? The rats turned blue. <laughs> True. True story. I have, two, I have t- two problems with this. First, who are these people conducting the study? Who's spending the money conducting the study? Number two. Mad people. Are you now saying that there's a, someone promoting artificial coloring and dyes to treat spinal cord injury? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. I'm oh, just God. telling you the facts of what, what this article stated. And I'm just pulling up this right now. It says, it's in anything blue, in M&Ms and Gatorade and Jell-O. We eat 100 million pounds a year in the United States. So we already know there's no toxicity. What? I mean, other than potentially turning blue. (laughs) So in general, I mean, we've got different opinions on this, like we do with a lot of things. It depends, blah, is sort of like Mm -hmm. a regular statement around here. I definitely try to avoid food additives in my household with my family. I think that's really important. And the good news is that a lot of times they're not being needed anymore. We found alternatives and substitutes. You know, you'll see things like beetroot being used as a a coloring. You'll see, you know, other things, beta carotene, stuff like that. So uh, they, they might be on their way out, perhaps. But I think what we can all get behind and agree on is that it's really important, and I think we've done a, we've gone a far way here to raise awareness around reading a food label. If there are words there that you don't understand, go look, go do your research. Right, and the only place that you're going to find these things is in the processed foods. So again, as always, as much as possible, try to just eat more raw foods rather than the processed foods, and you're not going not to have to worry about these additives. And one last rant, Patty. Go ahead. Artificial and natural flavors. Right. What's the difference between those two? Well, very basically, artificial flavors are man-made chemicals. Mm -hmm. Natural flavors are chemicals that are extracted from some sort of plant or animal source. Mm -hmm. They, again, are, quote-unquote, generally regarded as safe. But there is a ton of different loopholes, what can be used, and the quality assurance testing on these different agents, then they don't have to be disclosed what they are, where they came from, any of that information. So, um, again, another reason why, in my opinion, avoidance of processed foods that contain either of those is better. Couldn't you make the argument, though, that natural flavorings are also made up of chemicals? For sure. I mean, you could make the argument that at the end of the day, everything is made up of Water. chemicals, right? Uh-huh. But it's at what proportion are those chemicals in your food, right? If you're eating a, a tomato, then it has a proportion of chemicals that are that are tomato, that's a food. When we start extracting and singling out certain chemicals and adding them and subtracting them and things like that, then we're essentially getting away from what I would consider a whole food diet. Okay, are you done? Yeah. Next time on The Lab Report, Dr. Nicole Avina. Yeah, she's back and she's going to talk about what to eat when you're trying to get pregnant. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You know, it's interesting. What? I wonder how much of why we like to eat a food is because of its coloring. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. if it had a strange color, would I still want to eat it? Like, for example, let's say they put black coloring in butter. Would you eat black butter? No, I wouldn't. I I tend to want to eat things that look the color that they're supposed but to But who look. says what it's supposed to look like? Nature. 
No, because some things were clear and now we're adding color to make them more robust. My whole point is like how much of that manipulation makes us want to eat that food. No, but I think we're adding the color to make it look more robust because it loses its color in the processing. So we're trying mm -hmm. to make it more, look more like its natural state. Now, when something doesn't look natural is when I absolutely will 100% avoid it. Like the Black Whopper incident oh, of the right. 2015s Halloween where they had black hamburger buns. Yes. Which had a very unfortunate side effect the next mm. day for people owing to Google the that. amount of food coloring that was in yeah. that. Google that. 